When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tents. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for yet another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, it's fun to speculate on how the materials that we incorporate into our aquariums can change the environment within them. We've talked about this a lot over the years, haven't we? And I I can't help but wonder what sorts of specific environmental variations we can create in our aquarium habitats, that is to say, variations of the chemical composition of the water in our aquarium habitats by simply employing various different types and combinations of botanicals and aquatic soils and stuff like that. I mean, on the surface, this is not a revolutionary idea. We've been doing stuff like this in the hobby for a long time, more crudely in the fish breeding realm, you know, adding peat to the water, for example, or with aragonite substrate and rift lake cichlid tanks or with mineral additions to shrimp habitats, you know, stuff like that. In the planted aquarium world, it's long been known that soil types and additives, i.e., you know, clay-based aquatic soils, for example, will obviously impact not only the plant growth, but the water chemistry of the aquarium far differently than, say, iron-based soils or decorative sands, and thusly their effect on the plants, the fishes, and as a perhaps unintended side consequence, the overall aquatic environment will be influenced significantly as a result. So it pretty much goes without saying that the idea that utilizing different types of botanical materials in the aquarium can likely yield different effects on the water chemistry and thus impact the lives of the fishes and plants that reside there is not that big a stretch, right? I can't help but wonder what possible impacts of different leaves or possibly even seed pods from different geographical areas can have on the water and the overall environment. I mean, sure, pH and KH are affected in certain circumstances, but what about the compounds and substances that we don't or simply can't test for in the aquarium? What impacts do they have? Subtle things like the combinations of various amino acids, antioxidant compounds, obscure trace elements, even hormones for that matter. Could utilizing different combinations of botanicals in aquariums you know, potentially yield different environmental results? And in the future, will this lead to the potential development of sort of step-by-step recipes for creating various types of physiological reactions in fishes? You know, scenarios like add a little of this if you want your fishes to color up, add a combination of this and this if you want the fishes to commence spawning behavior, etc., etc., etc. Now, it sounds a little bit exotic, probably a little bit gimmicky even, but is it really all that far-fetched in an idea? Absolutely not, in my opinion. I mean... We've been sort of manipulating environments in, for example, coral breeding, coral, um, you know, propagation facilities and tanks and reef tanks for years. And I think that the main thing which keeps this idea from really developing more in the uh, freshwater side of the hobby, or at least the botanical side of the hobby, if you will, uh, is knowing exactly how much of what to add to our tanks, specifically to achieve X effect. It's that we as hobbyists simply don't have the means to test for many of the components or compounds which may affect the aquarium habitat. We aren't even 100% certain which compounds are present in many natural habitats, right? 
assays would have to be done, uh, completed on wild aquatic habitats to determine this. In addition, we'd all have to sift through a lot of field research on the physical characteristics and water chemistry of the habitats of various fishes to see which compounds influence which specific behaviors or impart specific health benefits, right? Tons of variables, a lot of stuff. So at this point, it's really as much of an art as it is a science and more superficial observation, at least in aquariums, is probably almost, I say almost, as useful as laboratory testing is in the wild. Even simply observing the effects upon our fishes caused by environmental changes in the aquarium, uh, you know, with our little experiments is useful to some extent. At least at the present time, we're largely limited to making these sort of superficial observations about stuff like, you know, the color that a specific botanical can impart into the water, the reactions of our fishes to the tinting, uh, you know, the pH, KH influences, that kind of stuff. It's a good start. Obviously, there's a lot more to go. Now, as hobbyists, we tend to make assumptions, which can sometimes be problematic. I mean, we've pretty much beaten the living shit out of the idea that just because the water in your aquarium is brown, it doesn't mean that you have soft, acidic, you know, Amazonian conditions. So admittedly, we in the hobby have to up our game a little bit to rather than make these kinds of assumptions based on something like the color of the water. Of course, not everything we can gain from this studying is superficial. Some botanical materials actually do have scientifically confirmed impacts on the aquarium environment. And yeah, they do happen to color up the water, right? For example, catapa leaves. We can at least infer that there are some substances, flavonoids like camphorol and quercetin, and a number of tannins like punicillin and punicillogen, as well as a whole suite of saponins and phytosterols imparted into the water from the leaves, which do have scientifically documented effects on fish health and vitality. Of course, I say infer because even though these compounds have been determined to be present in catapa leaves, how can we be sure that they're leaching into the water in our aquariums and the sand and, and, and what comp, you know, concentration, how many parts per million or billion or whatever it is? It's a guessing game at best. What we can do is operate under the assumption, gulp, <laughs> that some of this stuff is getting into our tank water. An assumption that our aquariums are under the influence of botanicals. And when we first started tannin, I came up with this term. I came up with a lot of terms, didn't I? came up with this term called habitat enrichment. Sounded cool. To, to describe the way various botanicals can impact the aquarium environment. I'm used on the idea a lot, and I know that doesn't surprise many of you. Now, I freely admit that this term may easily be interpreted as much more of a form of marketing hyperbole and mumbo-jumbo or whatever than it is a technical description of what occurs when we add botanicals to our tanks. However... I believe that the idea of some, you know, sort of resonates. And I, when we think about an aquarium as an analog for wild aquatic habitats and, you know, how the surrounding environment, the tewa, as they call in, you know, winemaking, impacts the aquatic environment, right? Let's get back to that wine thing for a second. Wine, for example, has tewa. It's a concept which acknowledges that the environmental conditions, especially soil and climate in which, you know, grapes are grown, give a wine its unique flavor and aroma. Coffee also acquires traits that are similar, tangible effects and characteristics which impact the experience that we get from them. Tangible effects. Interesting. And we hear the interesting stories from fellow hobbyists about dramatic color changes, you know, positive behavioral changes, rehabilitated fishes, and those so-called spontaneous spawning events which seem to occur after a few weeks of utilizing botanicals in aquariums which formerly didn't employ them. I think there's something to this. Now, sure, a good number of these interesting events and effects could likely be written off as mere coincidence. 
But when it happens over and over and over again in this context over the years, I think that at least warrants some consideration. I mean, there's something to it all, isn't there? We're slowly beginning to figure this stuff out. We as aquarists often walk that line between amateur scientists, sleuths, and artists. Yeah, we're artists, but we're more than that too. We're mad scientists, we're fish geeks, we're dreamers, and eh, yeah, we're artists. And this stuff is really as much of an art as it is a science, in my opinion. There's so much we don't know yet, or more specifically, so much we don't know in the context of keeping fishes. We need to tie a few loose ends together to get really good on this stuff until we get to that dial a river additive stage, you know, just add a little of this, a little bit of that, and whatever that I talked about earlier. But we're getting there, at least in terms of understanding some of the tangible benefits of botanical use besides just the aesthetics. It's a slow, often tedious process, requiring us to do more than simply make assumptions. It involves a lot of amateur sleuthing through relative, you know, relevant scientific journals and literature, hoping to extract some kernels of wisdom that we can distill into our aquarium practice. I think we're starting to see a new emergence of a more holistic approach to aquarium keeping, a realization that we've done some amazing things thus far. You know, keeping fishes and plants in a grass or glass or acrylic box is pretty cool but that there's so much more room to experiment and push the boundaries even further by understanding and applying our knowledge of what happens in the real natural environment. You, us, all of us are making mental shifts. We're replicating nature in our aquariums by achieving a greater understanding of nature, studying and attempting to replicate different components of the natural habitats of our fishes more than we ever have previously, like substrate, for example. Yeah, We've opened up a whole new can of worms with the idea of functional substrates for botanical-style aquariums, haven't we? I've talked about this a lot over the years. I've come up with products and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) At least I hope that we have. The substrate is really the reason I keep coming back to it is that it's something I'm obsessed with, yes. But it's one of the more overlooked aspects of the aquarium, in my opinion. Other than people that keep, you know, aquatic plants that are really into, you know, substrate, uh, you know, composition and stuff, most of us tend to overlook it. The substrates in wild aquatic habitats have so much to do, more to do with the natural environment or the aquatic environment, excuse me, than we think they do. It's really amazing. In fact, one study that I looked at concluded that the Rio Negro, one of my favorite rivers, is a blackwater river in large part because of the very low nutrient concentrations of the soils, the soils that drain into it. And this has arisen as a result of several cycles of weathering, erosion, and sedimentation. In other words, there's not a whole lot of minerals and nutrients left in the soils to dissolve into the water to any meaningful extent. It's geology. This fascination I have about the relationship between aquatic and terrestrial ecosystems led me down the path of creating and experimenting with the new, at least for aquariums anyway, new class of substrate materials, which I call sedimented substrates, surprise, composed of a number of materials, including clays and sediments, which were intended to influence the aquatic habitat in more fish-centric botanical-style aquarium systems. Since I get asked a lot of questions, let's touch on this idea just a little bit more. Now, first off, let me make clear these substrates that I came up with. They're called nature-based, and we've had a few of these, and it's probably sounding like an infomercial, but we're going to talk about it anyway. (laughs) Let me make it clear. These substrates were originally intended for a very specific purpose. I was trying to replicate the terrestrial soils, which are seasonally inundated in the wild, in the Amazon. Can't get much more specific than that, right? As such, they were compositionally different than typical aquarium substrates and sands. 
This also means that they behave differently when used in our aquariums in a number of ways. Like, they'll make your water cloudy at first. Are you scared yet? I hope not, because as it turns out, they're useful and interesting for all types of aquariums, not just the ones which replicate flooded forests and grassland habitats, you know, my urban agapo thing that I always talk about. So why are they comprised of sediments and clays? We get asked this a lot. Well, for one thing, sediments are an integral part of the natural substrates in the habitats from, many of our, from which many of our fishes come. So they're integral to our substrates as well. In fact, I suppose you'd best classify our nature-based substrate products as sedimented substrates. That is the best descriptor we can come up with for them because that's what they are. Now think about it. These materials have profound influence on the aquatic habitats in which they're found. Many of our favorite habitats are forest floors and meadows and grasslands, which undergo periodic seasonal flooding cycles in regions like, you know, South America, which results in the creation of these aquatic habitats for a remarkable diversity of fish species. Depending on the type of water that flows from the surrounding rivers during these you know, wet season rainy events, the characteristics of the flooded areas can vary. An important aspect is the geology of the substrates over which those rivers pass. This results in differences in the physical and chemical parameters of the water. In the Amazon, as we've talked about for years here, areas flooded by rivers or black, you know, of black or clear waters with acid pH and low sediment load, in addition to being nutritionally poor, are called igapo or varzea, depending on the environment. The transition, the, this, this changeover from terrestrial to aquatic, results in a really unique ecology, worthy of our study as aquarists. It's a really fascinating dynamic that weaves together ecology, biology, botany, geology, all kinds of interesting subjects. The flooding, or inundation as it's often called, last for several weeks or even several months and the plants and the trees the terrestrial plants and trees that grow there need special biochemical adaptations to be able to survive the lack of oxygen around their roots during this period another interesting thing another interesting ecological adaption uh adaptation excuse me i don't like to say adoption is that a word i don't know we'll have to go back to that <laughs> during the inundation period many of the forest trees they drop their fruits in the water then they drop it during this inundation period. Why? Well, they're eaten by fish. As a result, a lot of these fishes ingest the stuff and poop the seeds out wherever they are. So it's thought by ecologists that some of these trees and plants are strongly dependent upon the fishes to disperse their seeds throughout the forest, requiring that the seeds pass through the gut of a fish before it will even germinate. That's crazy, right? But that's what Colossuma and Mitinus and all those big fruit-eating fishes do. Fishes which consume matter found in the substrate, you know, detritivores, and other materials in the substrate, omnivores, also play a fundamental role in the transportation of organic carbon, which is a source of energy for downstream fish communities. So through their foraging activities, these fishes enhance the downstream transport and processing of organic material and ensure that the proper functioning of the aquatic system and its biological community takes place. It's a terrestrial environment influencing the aquatic environment and the fishes that live in the aquatic environment influence the terrestrial environment. This is a really interesting interdependency, isn't it? Now, forest floor soils in tropical areas are known by soil geologists as oxisols and have varying amounts of clay, sediments, and minerals like quartz and silica and various types of organic matter. So it makes sense that when flooded, these you know, ingredients will have significant impact on the aquatic environment. This recipe is not only compositionally different than 
typical, you know, off the shelf aquarium sands and substrates, it looks and functions differently too, like the turbidity and so forth. So that's why we created these substrates to mimic this natural process. And that's where a lot of people will metaphorically leave the room. Yeah, you'll have to make a mental shift, like one of many that we ask of you, right? A mental shift to appreciate a different look and a different function. And many hobbyists simply can't handle that. Like, we're being upfront with you, you know, being upfront with this stuff and how this stuff differs to ward off the, you know, I added nature base to my tank and it looks like a cloudy mess. This stuff is shit. Those kind of emails that inevitably pop up when somebody doesn't read up first before they purchase stuff. We had this happen with botanicals. There's a pile of goo on my botanicals. I've wasted $20 on this stuff. It's like, that's the whole point, idiot. But it happens. Anyway, I digress. And it just so happens that these products actually grow aquatic plants, like, pretty well, too. It was... I was not entirely surprised, but when my planted tank friends start, you know, playing with the nature-based Agapo and Barzea, our two first two formulas, and they call me up and they say, Thelman, the plants are growing like crazy. This is great. I'm kind of surprised, but I guess maybe not. Okay, enough of the mini infomercial on my substrates. I mean, the concept of influences of external factors on our aquariums is super cool. And it's something that we're going to always be talking about. It's something that is fundamental to our practice here. Land and water working together. They provide an amazing resource for the adventurous hobbyist like you who's interested in exploring. These regions are diverse harbors of life, ranging from fungal and biofilm mats to algae to epiphytic plants. And decomposing leaves, seed pods, and tree branches compose the substrate for a complex web of life, which helps the fishes that we're so fascinated by to flourish. And if you look at them objectively and carefully, they are beautiful. These masses of leaves and trees and things like that. I think the botanical style aquarium community can create a model for hobby level contribution to the body of knowledge about these highly fascinating, remarkably diverse, surprisingly pervasive and incredibly compelling natural aquatic habitats. I, I really believe that. As an aquarist, a little bit of faith in the natural process and a willingness to let go of your preconceptions of exactly what an aquarium should look like is absolutely necessary. It's even mandatory. Once you free your mind of these prejudices, you'll really begin to accept and appreciate the natural beauty of what these systems are all about. To understand the influence of all sorts of ecological factors on the aquatic environment, to be willing to embrace these influences to create compelling functional representations of some of the more unusual aquatic habitats of the world. Hobbyists who incorporate botanicals and all this stuff into their aquariums nowadays are looking at things more holistically, embracing the natural processes such as the breakdown of materials, the accumulation of biofilms, and even the occasional spot of algae as part of the environment to be studied and enjoyed rather than to be loathed, feared, and removed. We're learning more about the interactions between our fishes and these unique aquatic environments. And the opportunities to gain and share this new knowledge are endless. There's so many things we can look up, so many things we can play with. I think just having a bit more than a superficial understanding of the way botanicals and other materials influence and interact with the aquatic environment and how we can embrace and replicate these systems in our own aquariums is really important to the overall aquarium hobby. It's something we can gift to everybody. The real message here is to not be afraid of learning about seemingly complex chemical and biological nuances of aquatic ecosystems and to apply some of this knowledge to our aquarium practice. You don't have to be a chemist or a biologist. You just have to have a little bit of interest above and beyond just looking at a pretty picture. Maybe that's not your thing. I get it. Not everybody wants to be the next great contributor to the aquarium you know, world, but we all have a place for it. There's all a place for us all to do that. 
I also have this irresistible curiosity about the potential of botanical-based aquariums to foster a unique and really complex ecology in our aquariums. With a diverse assemblage of microorganisms and a continuous food source of decomposing botanicals in-house, I can't help but think of that ideas like living substrates create a surprisingly diverse and utilitarian biological support system for our aquariums. And I think that the idea of an enriched substrate you know, or a sediment substrate or substrates with all kinds of material and botanical materials in them will become an integral part of the overall ecosystems that we create in the future. Considering the substrate as both an aesthetic and functional component, even in non-planted aquariums, opens up a whole new area of aquarium exploration. It's really exciting. It's just another example of how aquariums can benefit from being under the influence of botanicals. Until next time, stay thoughtful, stay resourceful, stay creative, stay studious, stay with me, and always stay wet. This is Scott Fellman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.